Hi, I'm Carmen LaBerge. Thanks for listening to the podcast of Mornings with Carmen LaBerge. Encouraging you to live as an ambassador of God's kingdom in the world. This is Mornings with Carmen LaBerge on Faith Radio. So it occurred to me that I have yet, since I have returned to the microphone this week, I have yet to ask you, you know, one of our most essential questions and one of the questions that we like to ask every single morning, and that is this, where in the word are you today? So of all the other things going on, of making the list of things to be accomplished and the places you need to go and the things you need to do and the decisions you need to make. Where in the word are you today? Let's be people who are established in the word, in the word of God, before we seek to walk our faith out into the world that God so loves. So let me offer up today one verse from Proverbs 31. Proverbs 31 is a great chapter. If you've never soaked in it, it's a, it's a really good one about how to live with wisdom and integrity, particularly as a woman in the world. But Proverbs 31, verse 25 is where I want to draw our attention right now. She is clothed with strength and dignity. She can laugh at the days to come. She is clothed with strength and dignity. She can laugh at the days to come. What does it look like? What does it mean for you to be clothed with strength? The strength of the Lord the strength of the knowledge of God, a strength of character found in Christ, physical strength and vitality. What does it look like for you to be clothed with strength today? And what does it look like today for you to be clothed with dignity? The world works um, overtime to strip us of our dignity. And, And as Christians operating in the world, And for those of us who are women, for women operating in the world, um, the dignity conversation is a big one. So where do you find your dignity? In whom does your dignity rest? Do you recognize that you are a child of God? Do you recognize that God views you as eternally loved and valued and precious and in Christ dignified? dignified. You have the dignity of the righteousness of Christ. There's no greater dignity than that. The one uh, whom, who, to whom God gives the name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. Like There's no greater dignity than the dignity of Christ. And so when the Apostle Paul says in Galatians 3 or in Colossians 3 that we are to put on Christ, that, that we're to put on the strength of Christ and the dignity of Christ and the righteousness of Christ and the character of Christ. So when you think about what you're going to be clothed in today, the Proverbs 31 woman is clothed with strength and dignity and can laugh at the days to come. Who are you clothed in today? What are you putting on today? 
And let our Christian faith and our Christian walk not be a put on. Let us be people who have genuinely put on Christ. Read the first 17 verses of Colossians 3 today as an encouragement for what it looks like to put on Christ today. You're listening to Mornings with Carmen. First up this morning, we've got Alan Crippen from the Faith and Liberty Discovery Center. We'll be right back. fun to welcome back Alan Crippen. You um, hopefully remember our prior conversation with him. He's the executive director of the Faith and Liberty Initiative at the American Bible Society in Philadelphia, Pennsylvania. And he's here to talk with us today about the opening of the Faith and Liberty Discovery Center. Alan, welcome back. Thank you, Carmen. It's great to be back with you. All right. So for folks who might have missed our prior conversation, um, the American Bible Society thought it'd be a great idea, right, to to do something that would really invite people into a conversation discovering America's past and its relevance to the present. Um, talk with us about this project, the Faith and Liberty Initiative, and then specifically the Faith and Liberty Discovery Center. Sure. I'll start with American Bible Society. It is a 205-year-old organization that was founded by the American founders to ensure that every American family had a copy of the scriptures available. And I think it's interesting that it was founded by founders. John Jay uh, was one of its early presidents, Elias Udenow, um, Richard Varick, who was a Federalist and mayor of New York, um, John Quincy Adams, Francis Scott Key, uh, John Marshall, a number of American heroes were involved with the Bible Society. They, of course, had risked their, their lives, their fortunes, their sacred honor in a revolution, wanting to perpetuate um, a republic, and knowing that a republic was predicated upon virtue, thought, well, a source of virtue is the Bible, right? So so in addition to its um, its its spiritual value, its eternal verites, its... its, its um, um, you know, talk of the gospel, it, it also has this civic benefit of cultivating the virtues necessary to su- sustain a republic. And thus, American Bible Society. So fast forward 205 years, we live in a completely different culture. Uh, we live in a culture that no longer reveres the Bible as a good book. Um, it's, it's, it's suffered reputation. It's considered by many to be a, a source of um, hatred and outdated mores and uh, a book about, um, you know, just things that are irrelevant. And so the Bible Society, wanting to adjust to the times, uh, seeks to initiate a strategy for rebranding the Bible as the good book, to, to get people to pick it up, to read it for themselves, to encounter its life-transforming message. So how do we do that in a culture that's um, post-Christian, post-modern, post-literate? Uh, one one experiment is the Faith and Liberty Discovery Center, which is a, a high-tech, uh, immersive, interactive museum that has been built on Independence Mall in Philadelphia to tell the story of the Scripture's role in the American experience from the founding right down to the present day. And we do so by highlighting the work and lives of key individuals uh, in the, in the in the American narrative, some some 
well-known, some, some lesser known, who have been inspired by the Bible to become change makers, to advance uh, liberty, to uh, make America a better place. And so that's the backstory for the Faith and Liberty Discovery Center, which uh, technically opened on May 1, um, in the midst of, or on the hopefully the tail end of COVID, uh, and now we're ramping up to 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 make a little bit of a bigger splash. So I want to talk um, specifically about the Faith and Liberty Discovery Center, but I want to circle back to something that you said and have you unpack it a little bit further because I hear the language of civic virtue. Um, more frequently now than I have in the past, but I don't always hear the language of civic virtue as tied to um, what I might understand as biblical virtues. So is is that a conversation that you hear taking place, and would you like to comment on it? I'd certainly love to comment on that. Um, the approach we've taken with the Faith and Liberty Discovery Center is to uh, present six galleries, and each of those galleries are themed uh, on a virtue um, or, or a value. Uh, faith is one of those <laughs> values or virtues. Liberty, justice, uh, hope, unity, and love. So we've dedicated a, a, a gallery to each of those. And what, what we discovered as we were <clears throat> thinking about how to present this, this story is um, these are values that are foundational to the American experience. Um, these are values that have been present from the beginning. How do we know that? Because we surveyed founding documents. We surveyed, obviously, the Declaration of Independence, the Constitution of the United States, the Articles of Confederation, various colonial charters, correspondence of American founders, and and identified these values that are are present in these, these documents. So not only are they old values, but they're really foundational values to what eventually became the American order, the American Republic. And so we've designed a, a discovery experience. This is not a, it's not a didactic, you know, let us tell, tell you what happened, but it's, it's designed for the visitor to explore for themselves and to discover for themselves that these values have been there, that they are there, and that the source of these values uh, is is the Bible both in its um, in the Hebrew scriptures as well as the the Christian scriptures? So we're going to take a very very brief break. When we come back, Alan Crippen and I are going to continue our conversation um, about the Faith and Liberty Discovery Center, which is now open in the heart of Philadelphia. Um, and we're going to talk about you know how, what is the relationship between faith and liberty in the American experience, and what was the influence of the Bible on individuals in key historical and uh, personal moments in the history of our nation. That's up next here on Mornings with Carmen. Continuing my conversation with Alan Crippen, uh, we are talking about the opening of the Faith and Liberty Discovery Center in Philadelphia. You can find it at faithandliberty.org, faithandliberty.org. Um, let's talk, uh, Alan, about, uh, you know, just some of these stories, right? There is this relationship between faith and liberty in, uh, you know, in the history of our country, and that's really illuminated by individuals who were influenced by the scriptures of the Old and New Testaments. Can you maybe give us an example of one of those? 
Certainly. Uh, we have we have so many, uh, but, but I'll, I'll start. Our thesis is that faith guides liberty toward justice. So there's a there's a symbiotic relationship between faith and liberty. I think this is uh, this is really not a common conception. Most most modern people think of liberty as basically the freedom to do whatever you want as long as you don't hurt anybody. And that's more of a libertarian understanding of liberty. That's not really a, a Judaic and Christian understanding of liberty or biblical understanding of liberty. Liberty is the freedom to do that which is right. Liberty is the freedom to, to love, your, love your neighbor as yourself. Uh, so, you know, in the, in, the, in the design of the Faith and Liberty Discovery Center, we actually start with the story of William Penn. William Penn was the founder of Pennsylvania. Uh, William Penn was animated by his faith. He was a religious um, dissident in England, uh, an Anglican turned Quaker, and he was persecuted for his faith. He was jailed uh, no less than seven times for his faith. Um, he wanted, he, he became in, the, in that process committed to this notion of liberty of conscience, what we would call religious liberty today. He was also committed uh, to the biblical and theological virtue of love love of God, love of neighbor. Um, he was a political theorist and theorized a society, drafted a constitution uh, to create a free society in the new world that we now call Pennsylvania. And he was able to get that charter because he was pretty highly placed. He was from an affluent and influential family and basically leveraged that uh, influence to get a, a land grant from King Charles II and thus Pennsylvania was born. So uh, Penn, like, is a contemporary of John Locke. They actually were at Oxford at the same time. He's a contemporary of James Harrington and Algernon Sidney and all these sort of political philosophers. But unlike them, right, he's not only theorizing about politics, but he's experimenting in it. And he's experimenting in it from an overtly Christian uh, and biblical understanding of the world. So he you know, he, he understands the, the impact of the fall of man and the nature of man and uh, that man has both human dignity and yet is, yet is capable of you know, things of great depravity. He'd seen it, right? So, so he um, creates Pennsylvania, which becomes the first a government in the world to make religious liberty permanent and irrevocable. And again, he's motivated by his faith to do this. So this, this, this free place, this, the freest place for religious liberty in the world is theorized by a, by a Christian political philosopher. And, that, and that's just one example of how faith guides liberty toward justice. And my guess is many of the residents of Pennsylvania don't know who William Penn was, or if they do, they don't know those things about him. And that's one of the I think the real values uh, that you guys are bringing forward through the Faith and Liberty Discovery Center, and I really do want to encourage our listeners, check it out online, faithandliberty.org. There's cool stuff you can download. There's you know, there's an app. You can obviously visit the Faith and Discovery, Faith and Liberty Discovery Center in Philadelphia when you're in the area. Um, <clears throat> but there's a ton of stuff online as well, and I, I really appreciate that. I want to direct people to those resources online. I feel like there's a lot of conversation in the country um, right now, Alan, about the history of America and, you know, who gets to tell it and how it's told and how it's remembered. And um, you 
I, I like the personal exploration part of what you're doing. So let's highlight that again. When somebody comes to uh, the um, the Faith and Liberty Discovery Center, they're going to exper- they're going to explore things for themselves. They're going to come to their own understanding of those things. It's and and I really I appreciate that approach. Can you talk a little bit more about that? Sure. You know, as I said earlier, our approach is not didactic, right? It's not you know sit down and let us tell you tell you what happened. It's it's much more immersive and interactive and and based on really a Socratic method of of learning. So we want to um, posit the questions and um, help the visitor explore those questions uh, in the, in the midst of the content. We've done that through some highly immersive and interactive uh, technology. Uh, our signature technology for the Faith and Liberty Discovery Center is called the interactive lamp. So each visitor, when they come, they you know, pay their, their mission uh, for their ticket, and they're issued the interactive lamp. And what the interactive lamp does, it's really an artificial intelligence device that allows the visitor uh, to interact with some of the, the exhibits, but also to collect information that is of interest to them. And they do so by touching an illuminated bullseye that's uh, near near the exhibit they're looking at. Uh, that lamp lights up, it vibrates, and it and it gathers that information and and customizes it for a personal portal that the visitor can access through the, their source code at the at, after the experience. So they can walk through the Faith and Liberty Discovery Center, take in whatever they want, uh, explore whatever they want, and then post experience, go back to their home or their hotel room or uh, on their laptop or desktop or iPhone and revisit the content and the questions that the Faith and Liberty Discovery Center um, poses. So uh, that's, I, I think, this, this, the signature technology that sets us apart from certainly any other museum in Philadelphia, but um, many museums in the world. Yeah, it's really cool. It's a way to take the experience with you, um, to take it home, and to be able to continue to explore it and unpack it and dig deeper and, you know, re-engage, right? Because I don't necessarily always learn it the first time through, and right. uh, and and going back and covering the material again is so helpful. All right, exactly. what else do you want us to know? What else do you want us to know to whet our appetite <laughs> to come and visit with you? Um, this is a really, really exciting launch, and we, we, we are celebrating it with you um, and just want to give you the opportunity to invite people to join us. Thank you. I, well, I'd like to say that, you know, we built this for all people, for all faiths or, or people with no faith to just uh, come and explore the questions and, and decide for yourself. Uh, it, it's, you know, we're in this, the metropolis of the American founding, but but the Faith and Liberty Discovery Center is about more than the founding, right? It, it, it's about the American experience right down to the present. And I, as I think about, you know, the, the issues that our country faces today, particularly uh, the, the issues on um, race and history, I think the Faith and Liberty Discovery Center is opening at the right time because it it offers a historical lens to our past, a past that's not pretty, right? We're, we're, we're honest about about that past, but I think there are some lessons there. There's some applications there that the visitor can apply to the present, and maybe um, maybe we can help you know find our way. Particularly if we if we unite around these values, right, that are foundational. Uh, I think particularly the value of love, love of neighbor. Um, I, I think we can find our way and 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 work through these uh, troubled times that our country uh, faces. 
Alan, as always, thank you for joining us. Um, I love this project. You guys need to go and at least visit online, faithandliberty.org. And then, you know, let's all make plans to go and uh, visit Philadelphia and visit uh, the Faith and Liberty Discovery Center. Um, Alan will be there to greet us, and that will be fun as well. Alan, thank you so much. Thank you, Carmen. It's been a delight Absolutely. to be on the show today. It's always, it's always a delight. All right, that's Alan Crippen. You're listening to Mornings with Carmen. We'll be right back. A couple of quick headlines here at the bottom of the hour. Um, a couple of Catholic churches have been burned to the ground in Canada. I think this is a story that we haven't heard enough about yet, but my guess is we're going to hear more about it in the coming days. 215 graves of children were discovered um, some time ago in relationship to religious schools that were operated by the Catholic Church um, designed to serve native communities. And this is obviously horrific historic information. Uh, And so there's some speculation that the burning to the ground of these more than century old Catholic churches um, is retributive, you know, like somebody is doing it in retribution. Let's just be praying for um, for folks in places and spaces where they feel like the only thing that they can do in response to news or information is to act out in violence. Um, because that is not going to be a positive resolution for us as a people, regardless of where we live, regardless of what our challenges are with one another. Violence is not the answer to the question. Um, and so let's be, um, you, know, you know, praying for those Catholic congregations um, in those communities. And let's also be praying for those Native populations um, who, you know, now much more is going to need to be done in terms of reconciliation and explanation and, and yes, justice, but not um, retributive justice. And so let's be praying for that situation as well. Also, some interesting information, interesting news out of South Carolina. Um, South Carolina is considering extending the religious objections that now exist for healthcare professionals, considering extending those to mental health professionals, and this is in regard to the kind of therapies that um, are available and in use uh, for folks who are identifying as LGBTQ. And so that's going to be an interesting story for us to be watching. Um, My guess is that if that law is signed into, or if that bill is signed into law, that there will be um, people who bring cases against the state of South Carolina. All right, next up, one of my favorite conversation partners, Jim Dennison from the Dennison Forum, is going to join us next. One of the conversations we're going to have is, would you sign a petition? Um, to stop Jeff Bezos from returning to Earth? Hmm. A lot of people have signed just such a petition. What does that tell us? Not only about our quest for relevance, but, you know, our understanding um, of, wow, our relationships with one another. More with more with me and Jim Dennison up next. We'll be right back. C.S. Lewis once wrote, I don't necessarily doubt that God will do his best for us. I just wonder how painful it's going to be. Hi, I'm Mark Gregston with Parenting Today's Teens. As parents, we never seek out pain when raising a family. In fact, we usually do everything within our power to avoid it. But all too often, our tendency to run from pain 
means that we fail to experience God's very best for our lives. Parents in the midst of pain are in the worst position to change it. In reality, they're in the best position to be changed by it. So don't run from those awkward, goofy, distasteful moments that teens bring into your home. God truly wants the best for you, but the best may require a little pain. Want more help from Mark Gregston? Find books and other resources online at parentingtodaysteens.org or search for Parenting Today's Teens in your favorite app store. Jim Dennison. You can find what we're talking about today at denisonforum.org. Jim, welcome back. Hey, Carmen. Glad to hear from you this morning. How are you? I, I am well. I am well. I hope you are well as well. Yeah, terrific. In fact, the weather down here doesn't think it's Texas. It's I'm so happy weird. about it. Yeah. 67 oh. yesterday morning. I was walking in a sweatshirt, but it'll be 97 by Sunday, so we'll be back <laughs> Yeah, just just hold on. It'll return to normal. That's right. Exactly. Um, so let's talk a little bit about this petition. Um, the petition is to stop Jeff Bezos from returning to Earth. Um, wow. I mean, you think pretty highly of yourself if you think you can relegate a person to just being jettisoned into space forever. Yeah, especially if that person's worth nearly $200 billion. I wouldn't know that I had the capacity to make a change in his life, but there are some folks that think, in fact, 74,000 signatures as of the other day. So as you probably heard, he is planning to go out into space on July 20th on this subordable rocket, a new Shepard. It's going to be an 11-minute voyage into space. 74,000 people have signed a petition saying do not allow Jeff Bezos to return to Earth. They're kind of mad at him for being a billionaire. They're mad at him for how they think he's handling a variety of issues, and they'd rather him stay in space, as it turns out. So um, the number is, um, I'm looking at it right now, the, uh, mm-hmm. the number at change.org is just about to surpass 100,000 signatures, as we, uh, literally as we speak. Billionaires should not exist on Earth um, or in space, is what one of the people Um, on the petition has said, let's talk about existence. Who has the right to exist and who determines that? Yeah, that's really where our culture is, isn't it? We're at this idea that truth is what I say it is, that what I believe must therefore be my truth, and therefore you must at least tolerate my truth, if not embrace my truth. Well, how's that working for us in our culture would really be the question, right? On a logical level, to say there is no such thing as truth is to make a truth claim. To say there are no absolutes is to make an absolute truth claim. Just because I say there is no Australia doesn't mean there is no Australia. But the other day, Carmen, someone said to me, I don't believe in hell, as though that solved the question. I don't believe in hell, so therefore there is no hell. But that's the relativism in which we find ourselves these days. We want to impose our truth on the truth, and it doesn't work very well. So we have a listener who says, I wonder if all of those people who have signed the petition do not shop at Amazon or Whole Foods, do not use Twitch, have never bought shoes on Zappos, do not read the Washington Post, on and on and on. It's hard to, it would be hard to escape um, using or making use of all of the things that Jeff Bezos now has a controlling interest in. That's exactly right. In fact, I picked up yesterday at my door some uh, Transformer toys that were ordered on Amazon by my (laughs) wife for my grandson's upcoming Transformers birthday party. 
And oh, this is going to be fun. Space or not, I'm grateful for Jeff Bezos today anyway, uh, because my grandson is looking forward to what he delivered to my house. Yeah, no, no doubt, no doubt. Um, Okay, further, I'm actually just going to scroll a little bit further down in that same post at Denison Forum. So this is the post from yesterday, June the 22nd. I know you have fresh content today. But as I scroll down in yesterday's um, post, you have this conversation about a senator equating Christians with KKK members. And I wanted to talk about this in sort of in conversation with this, I, I think, public statement, I mean, I would describe it that way, by the press secretary um, of the White House, Jen Psaki, yesterday, who basically said, look, the president's faith is a private faith and it's a private matter. We're not going to comment on the inner workings of the Roman Catholic Church, nor the president's Roman Catholicism. The two things are separate. There's, you know, there is his personal private religion, and then there is, you know, the political positions that he takes in relationship to things like, and and in particular, abortion. Um I think that these are related. Am I right? Oh, you're absolutely right. They're part of a larger trajectory that Christians really need to understand so we can embrace it in a way that can redeem it to a greater uh, good for God's glory and for the advancement of the kingdom. So back in the ancient Greco-Roman world, you had this religious transactional sort of a deal. If you were going to war, you sacrificed to the gods of war, Mars or Ares. If you needed truth, you'd sacrifice to Athena or whatever. You placed a sacrifice on the altars of the gods that bless your crops so and so forth. But you didn't have an ongoing transformational relationship with these gods. They lived at top of Mount Zeus and Mount Olympus, Zeus and all of that, and we're down here. Well, we've adopted, unfortunately, tragically, the same kind of bifurcation. We have Sunday here and Monday there and religion and the real world and the spiritual and the secular. That's Greek philosophy. That's Greco-Roman religion. Jesus comes along to say, if any man would follow me, let him deny himself, take up his cross daily, and follow me. We're to be crucified with Christ. We're to present our bodies a living sacrifice. Jesus is king on Monday, not just Sunday. He's king of the realm, not just the castle. He's king of public as well as private. So this bifurcation of religion and the real world is unbiblical. Whether that's President Biden saying that, or President Trump, or that's you or me, it's unbiblical. God wants to speak to every dimension of our lives. Our private faith should affect every dimension of our lives, and that's the breakdown we're seeing in our culture. Yeah, when I read your, um, when I read the quote from Senator Dick Durbin here, um, and I just this conversation about whether or not as people of faith we can continue to hold to a a moral code, um, a biblical morality that recognizes that human beings are created male and female in the image of God and that marriage is something given, um, ordered and ordained by God to be between one biological man and one biological woman. It's hard to Mm -hmm. imagine we even have to include that language, but we do. Um, And that to hold those ideas in the culture today could now be equated by a sitting senator with the KKK, I got to tell you, is uh, um, it's a little bit scary. It's a little bit scary. It really is because of where this goes, not just where it is, but where it goes. But that's the other side of what we're saying. If my religion is to be private, I'm not to bring it out in public, then if I do, I'm oppressive. Now, if I do, I'm forcing it on other people. And if it's in the context of LGBTQ minorities, I'm acting like a racist. And that's what Dick Durbin is saying. He's likening people who want to defend biblical morality, biblical marriage, to KKK members that, as he said, are not burning question marks. They were burning a cross. They were making some 
distorted connection with religion and so forth. So that really, Carmen, is how the culture looks at those of us who believe in biblical morality. They think we're being just as oppressive, just as discriminatory, just as bigoted. They would say homophobic, as if we were KKK members defending white supremacy. That's why the Equality Act is such a threat, because it expressly denies any appeal to the Religious Freedom Restoration Act and to religious liberty. They would say, just like the KKK has no right to appeal to religious freedom, we have no right to appeal to religious freedom because we're oppressing others. They see us through that same racist lens, and that's becoming more and more pervasive in the culture every day. I'm talking with Jim Dennison. You can find more at denisonforum.org. Jim and I will be right back. Continuing my conversation with Jim Dennison from the Dennison Forum. All right, I'm sticking with yesterday's post um, at denisonforum.org because down at the bottom you talk about Terry Crews. And I'll just confess I didn't know who that was. Um, I didn't know that Terry Crews was a current host of America's Got Talent. But it did remind me that you have another post at Dennison Forum about Nightbird or Nightbirdie, who, uh, you know, a person with whom I'm also not familiar. So will you tell us these two stories? Tell us about Terry Crews and then tell us about Nightbird or Nightbirdie. Yeah, Carmen, glad to do that. Clearly, you're probably not a fan of Sylvester Stallone movies, let's say, and uh, <laughs> might not have followed all former NFL players and bodybuilders. So I think you're to be excused there, I bet. So yeah, that's Terry Crews. He's the host of this America's Got Talent show that's on, especially in the summer. He's also, by his own admission, a recovering pornography addict. His wife recently credited the Lord with saving their marriage, told the Christian Post. He took hold of the Word of God. He took hold of the Scriptures. He just ran with all his might. He said, God, I don't want to be like this anymore. And he amazes me every day. She said he really is the kinder, gentler version of Terry Crews because he let God do a work in his life. And it makes the point that in a culture that rejects the uh, the claim to biblical truth that we're discussing right now, we can demonstrate the relevance of that truth in our lives. And that's what happened on America's Got Talent recently. This young lady came out, she's a singer, she wanted to audition for the for this talent show, and along the way it turns out that she is a cancer patient with a 2% chance of survival. The song she sang was so stunning, so remarkable, that Simon Cowell, who's one of the four hosts or one of the four judges of America's Got Talent, and usually the most acerbic one, the most negative, gave her what they call the golden buzzer, which is the highest thing you can get. It actually sends her all the way through to the semifinals, and it was a very emotional moment. But it turns out it's her faith that is empowering her, that's strengthening her. She's a Liberty University graduate. Liberty did a profile of her not very long ago. She's got some blogs on her personal website website at nightbird.com that I would encourage everybody to read. She is living proof that Jesus changes our lives. And when we make that story clear, that's the compelling truth the culture needs. I just, I love her testimony. I love her story. I love the witness. Um, And I think that it reminds us to be praying for each other um, and to recognize that folks are often dealing with things quietly um, that they're not dealing with out, you know, out in public every single day. A lot of people listening right now dealing with chronic pain and and illness and challenges, and yet going out there into the world and doing the things that God has called each of us and all of us to do. Um, Jim, um, what are you reflecting on today? 
Well, thank you. As I'm working again on this idea of relative truth, that's kind of the theme for the week, as it turns out. We're going to be thinking today and tomorrow, especially about courage and the importance of having courage in a culture that is so rejecting of our truth and of our faith. At the end of the day, it's just as easy for me to retreat from the gates of hell as anybody. It's just as easy for me to pull back and not go into the world to make disciples of all nations, not trying to be his witness, just kind of pull back into uh, into a cave of, of retreat and denial and all that, keeping the salt in the salt shaker, keeping the light under the bushel basket. Well, I'm speaking tomorrow at, in, at the National Religious Broadcasters uh, Convention, doing their morning devotional. And what I'm going to encourage us to believe is that God redeems all he allows. He therefore is even redeeming the challenges of these days to give us an opportunity to go forward, to attack the gates of hell with his love, his mercy, and his grace. We're having a debate over abortion. Well, let's let's redeem that as an opportunity to push for adoption and to care for women that are facing at-risk pregnancies. We're having this big debate over LGBTQ rights and the Civil and the Equality Act. Well, let's redeem that by demonstrating God's grace and compassion for LGBTQ individuals and all of us. We're having this debate over death with dignity and euthanasia. Let's redeem that by caring for people who are suffering, as you said, many of them in silence. We're in the midst of this pandemic. Let's redeem that by caring for people that are suffering and and are grieving. Let's seize the opportunity to turn the obstacles into opportunities. I believe that's God's call for this moment. So, Jim, we have a listener named Talia, um, and I just I wanted to share with you what she's texted in, and let's just be of encouragement to her. Um, she was tasked with planning a holiday trivia event um, in her in her corporate job, and she chose a balance of trivia questions that represented many different religious holiday expressions. But because Christmas was even mentioned in a few of the questions, um, leadership canceled the entire event because, quote, mm. Christmas might offend some people. Um, people are dealing with a real challenge out there every day as Christians in the culture. Want to speak a word of encouragement to Talia and others? Yeah, I'm glad to have that opportunity, Talia. First of all, I'm sorry, but you're certainly not alone. There's a whole movement called Woke Business. I'm writing a book on what we're describing right now. I have a whole chapter on that, on how corporate America has moved in such a direction that's so discriminatory toward Christianity. You wouldn't say that. They wouldn't say that, I'm certain, whether it was over Passover, Rosh Hashanah, or if it was Ramadan or an Islamic holiday. But there's this idea that Christians are uniquely oppressive, uniquely discriminatory, that we on some level should be discriminated against in a way other religions are not in our culture. The best way to respond to that that I know is if Ephesians 4.15, speaking the truth in love. I believe you have the right to go forward to your supervisors. You have the right, I think, to say, well, actually, you're discriminating against the Christian faith by your concern that it's being discriminatory to honor Christmas or to think about the Christmas holiday. If you believe you have the right or believe that you can do that within the dynamics of your particular employment, I would urge you to do that. I would urge you to go forward after you pray, after you ask God's leadership, his wisdom, his protection, his direction. If he leads you to do that, I would encourage you to do that. But to do that in a spirit of love. Do that in a spirit of compassion and humility as beggars helping beggars find bread. Recognizing at the end of the day, the best apologetic for Christmas is that Christ is alive in us. The best way to celebrate the birth of Jesus is to show people that Jesus is born again in us. And if we can't celebrate Christmas in the holidays and demonstrate that in our public places of work, we can demonstrate that in our lives, our character, and our witness. And that's a privilege that no one can take from us. 
Amen. Jim, as always, thank you so much. Blessings on your uh, leadership at NRB tomorrow. Uh, I just appreciate you so very much. So blessings on you and your staff. Give them uh, our appreciative thanks as well. Carmen, so glad to be on with you today. God bless. Likewise. That's Jim Dennison. You can find him and more of what he's teaching at denisonforum.org. We'll be right back. In the summertime I changed my name thinking that it would change my mind Is that, a is that oh there it is. Let's listen to the typewriter for just a second on this national typewriter day. Okay, that is super fun. Thank you, Paul. We do not um, we do not have nearly enough typewriters in our lives. Not anymore. Not anymore. I mean, right? So did you learn to type on a typewriter, Paul, or did you I learn did. to type on a I took it in 10th grade. I took a class um, in typing on the old IBM Selectrix, and, mm-hmm. you know, that class really brought down my, uh, my GPA because <laughs> I'm a so terrible I typist. So typing... So I took, I'm a really good typist. I don't know if I should credit it to taking typing or not. I have no idea. Um, I think it was called keyboarding, like by the, by, yeah, like right, yeah, back then. right in that rate. But, but which is interesting because it was still on typewriters. And, um, and I took it as a summer school class. Oh. I think it's the only summer school class I ever took. And it was offered. And so um, my just one distinct memory is the um, gal who was sitting one typewriter to my right who like began to doze off mm-hmm. and she had long hair and she hit the enter key and her hair rolled all the way up and her, I mean, her head was smashed against the top of the oh. typewriter and her hair was all the way rolled up in there, which then consumed like the next three hours of time because that's all actually like really hard to get your hair back out of a typewriter. Uh, that yeah. is my enduring typewriter memory. <laughs> I know. Oh, I'm that's so ridiculous. Sorry to hear that's that. it. That's, that's terrible. I, I know. I feel. I feel bad for her. Yeah. All right. So, um, enduring memories, things that uh, bring, uh, bring a little, a little moment of consideration to the day. What are those for you today? Where in the word are you today? What or who are you putting on today? Let's not, let's not allow our faith to be a put on. Let's in fact put on Christ as we walk out into the world that God so loves. Let's do so in ways that honor Jesus. We've got another hour of Mornings with Carmen up next. John Brandon joins us again, Forbes columnist and digital media director here at Northwestern Media. And then I've got Jarrett Stevens. We're going to talk about his brand new book, The Always God. That's right, The Always God. Yep, never changes. We'll be right back. Thanks for listening to this podcast of Mornings with Carmen LeBurge from Faith Radio. If you haven't, you can subscribe to automatically receive the podcast through iTunes or the Google Play Music app. That way you never miss an episode. It's also available anytime at MyFaithRadio.com.